Welcome to the VO School podcast, dedicated to the art, craft, and business of voiceover. Each week builds upon the last to give you a comprehensive understanding of a career in VO. My name's Jamie Moffat. I'm a full-time voice talent and audio engineer, and I'll be joined by some of the industry's top professionals on both sides of the microphone to drill down and dig up the truth. Hello, hello. Welcome to the VO School podcast. Today's episode is devoted entirely to microphones, so please excuse us if we get a little geeky. All three of us have somewhat of an unhealthy obsession with microphones, so I think that will probably come across. Before we get to the interview, we've got a few bits of housekeeping to do. For all the links to the social media and the places where you can listen to the podcast, visit our website, which is voschoolpodcast.com. And please do follow us on our social media because it is the best place to stay up to date on all that we're doing. And it's a good way to get in touch if you have any questions or suggestions. Other than that, I think that's pretty much everything. So without further ado, here's a quick ad and our interview with Emmett Andrews, and Dan Friedman. The National Zoo. Because sometimes you just need to stroke a llama. Instagram. Download it and start embarrassing your teenagers today. Resolve spot and stain. Because the dog's gonna drag his butt on the carpet. He just is. Engage the droid army with this Lego Star Wars Republic fighter tank. Hi, it's J. Michael Collins. And these are just a few examples of the first-class demos my team and I are producing. If you'd like to have something similar, visit jmcvoiceover.com and click on the Demo Production tab to find out more. Dan Friedman is an audio engineer, producer, voice talent, and author from the mountains of Asheville, North Carolina. With nearly two decades in the voiceover industry, he's produced, directed, or provided his voice to thousands of audio productions. In 2010, he published Sound Advice, voiceover from an audio engineer's perspective. A first of its kind in the industry, the book covers audio engineering and studio session etiquette as it relates directly to voiceover talent. He continues to write a popular blog at his website, soundforvo.com. Emmett Andrews' background includes over 20 years in commercial radio. Additionally, he's worked for Sweetwater as both a sales engineer and tech support specialist. He is also a national voice talent, with clients like Dell, Long John Silvers, Spalding, Lexus, and Pandora. He offers technical design services for home studio owners and ad agencies. Emmett currently serves as production director for MS Communications. Here's our interview with Dan Friedman and Emmett Andrews. All right, so today I am joined by Dan Friedman and Emmett Andrews, who are both audio engineers, and that's specifically in the field of VO. So welcome to you both. Hey, Jamie, thanks. Thanks for having us. Pleasure, pleasure. And today we are talking about microphones. And I want to kick off by zooming out and looking very broadly at the subject. And there are three essentially three main groups of microphones, and those groups can be subdivided further, and we'll look at that a bit later. But um, I want to talk about the three main groups and the differences between them right now. So those groups are USB, dynamic, and condenser microphones. So Emmett, why don't you give us a, a little outline of those three types of microphones? All right, so um, I'm, I'm going to add in a fourth one, too, just so we, we cover the bases, but I won't go too in-depth. So yep. uh, USB microphones can be either dynamic or condenser, but basically they have the electronics of a preamp and an interface all built into the casing of that microphone. So it's a lot of stuff crammed into a really small little place, but at the same time, it's it's all self-contained, so that's all there is. You plug it in, and, and generally it just sort of works. Um, dynamic microphones and condenser microphones, you're going to have to have something external to get those into the computer, usually a preamp and an interface, either separate or built into one unit. Yeah. Um, 
dynamic microphones work on on strictly an an acoustic principle with with the transducer where vibrations are making all the voltage condensers they get a little extra power externally so they're more sensitive um and then the the fourth category would be ribbon mics which a lot of people think of as the old kind of microphone and and they've kind of had a resurgence but that's a uh, a little folded piece of foil, accordion-style folded piece of foil that that vibrates. And uh, you don't see those a whole lot. And usually the people using those have other mics in their collection because they're they're just sort of a specialized thing. Yeah. Um, did I miss anything with there? Any gaping holes in that? Feels good to me. Yeah. So, Dan, why would you choose one over another in that? in that sort of three or four? Uh, well, first of all, let's talk about, you know, dynamic mics uh, are very versatile, uh, built like tanks. They're often used in radio stations. They are used on instruments, um, you know, uh, great microphones. But because of their mechanical nature and the way that they pick up sound, um, they generally need a little bit more sound pressure level in order to reach their full potential. So in other words, the source sound has to be kind of loud, mm. um, you know, or you have to work the mic really up close uh, to make that work. So that's not always ideal for what we do in voiceover because often a voiceover read is barely over a whisper. It could mm. just be right down in here, right? So uh, a dynamic microphone is not going to perform as well as a condenser microphone, which works electronically to capture sound. Um, now, as a, a ribbon microphone, because that's typically going to be bi, uh, bi-directional or figure eight in its polar pattern, that introduces room noise and things of that nature. Uh, so that can be problematic. So that's why we tend to not use those unless we have a really good treated room. Uh, and they're also very delicate. Uh, and then the USB microphone, um, you know, that's just newer technology uh, and there's not nearly as many choices out there as there are in any of these other types that we've been using for decades. Mm. Um, so that would really be the reason why we tend to, you know, gravitate towards the large diaphragm condenser first and foremost uh, in voiceover. Yeah, and you get a wider frequency response from the large diaphragm condenser mics. They're more sensitive. So it can represent reality better and sometimes enhance things um, as opposed to a dynamic like you say that can be that require a bit more input yeah i mean if you're you know if you're putting a dynamic microphone on a drum set or on a guitar cabinet or something like that you're certainly not going to have any problem getting the power you need from those instruments to really get a great sound from them Mm. Uh, on the other hand uh like i said because voiceover sometimes it's just right down in here right Mm. or just barely over a whisper a dynamic microphone just isn't going to pick that up nearly as well yeah so let's talk price points then with these Uh, you know are we talking sort of usb a cheap dynamic are in the middle and the condenser on or more expensive or is it is it that straightforward or is it more of a mixture i think it's a mixture at this point um mm. because we are while usb microphones in my experience and i recently did a big mic shootout with a, several usb microphones um not all of them were the cheapest um you know so it's becoming more of a mix for mm. sure um but on the other hand there are certainly you know you can certainly get I mean, for goodness sakes, the Shure SM58 and 57, those are dynamic microphones that are less than 100 bucks. <laughs> right. um, not good for voiceover per se, um, but you know, inexpensive. Uh, on the other hand, we know certainly that we can spend you know, uh, $5,000 or $10,000 on a really high quality large diaphragm condenser microphone. Now that's not really necessary for what we do. Uh, you know, it's just not necessary. Uh, And then the USB microphones, generally they have been lower cost because of the way we use them, usually on portable devices. And, you know, that's kind of the intention, I think, Mm. um, and why they started uh, really producing them. So people can plug them into their phones, use them on their iPads, you know, and that's just a clunky, more unprofessional way of recording anyway, but it can get the job done. Um, But they are getting better quality. I, you know, of the mics that I tested in the USB shootout, um, you know, the Sennheiser MK4 uh, was definitely the best one. Uh, yeah. And th- their, their, uh, 
their non-USB version of that microphone is actually less expensive than the USB version of that same microphone. Right, um, yeah. So price points, you know, it, it's becoming a, a little bit more uh, scattered in that way. And not only that, but, you know, you can get a lot of really great sounding large diaphragm condenser microphones, uh, you know, at, at a fairly reasonable price point. I'm wondering if you think that it's just a matter of time before we see like a U87 USB mic. <laughs> and for the <laughs> listeners at home, well, U, a U87 is a large diaphragm condenser mic that is uh, sort of ubiquitous in most recording studios. And also very expensive. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Around the $3,000 price point in the US. Yeah. Um, and, and I would say no. And here's the reason why. It's not it's not because I don't think the technology can be good enough. I do. Mm. I, I think the technology can be outstanding. But the people who are going to be purchasing mics at that level, uh, I would say a, a thousand on up, um, they're going to want the freedom that comes with a mic that's not a USB mic because they can uh, pair the preamp individually. They can choose their converters. If one piece fails, they can you know quickly swap in another piece, just yeah. the piece that fails. It's uh, it's just generally a more professional solution all around from a practicality standpoint to not use a USB microphone. Not mm-hmm. saying you can't do professional work with a USB microphone, but if you're doing it day in, day out, uh, it's, it's a tool like you would find in any other job. And uh, USB microphones j- are, are just a very a, a very simple tool, like a multi-tool. Yeah. Whereas if you go see a mechanic, a mechanic's not going to do much with a multi-tool. He, he or she will have a, an entire range of, of specialty tools so they can choose exactly the right piece for what they need. I yeah. totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. And that's actually also a really good, uh, ex, you know, uh, way to illustrate that, you know, that yeah. comparison. Absolutely. So I'd like to go ahead and, uh, maybe bust a few myths right now. (laughs) Um, Now, my first statement slash question here is, do you need an expensive mic to work professionally? And you both touched upon that a little while ago. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. The microphone to me is the third most important thing in the chain. So, you know, you don't have to have an expensive microphone to work professionally. What you really need is the ability to deliver and communicate copy effectively, first and foremost. Then you need a space, an environment that uh, can also work in in a, you know, can sound professional because the microphone is really the third most important thing in that chain. Um, So, you know, if you were to give a low, lower quality microphone to somebody who's been doing this for 20 years uh, and, you know, they can probably get a pretty good sound out of it and they'll still be able to communicate that message effectively to where, mm. you know, I mean, there's a reason why some people when they're on the road travel with a little Apogee USB mic and actually some of the things that they do go to air with that microphone. And it's because they know what they're doing. So, uh, you know, that's the, the, the real issue lies is that when newer people to the business think that they can get away with a cheaper, less expensive microphone, they quickly realize that, you know, they think it's, oh, it's a cheap microphone, you know, but it's not really that part of it that's making them less effective. It's that they haven't had all the other stuff in between (laughs) and a good quality room to work in. Yeah. And would it be fair to say that the the microphone in that list of three is a distant third as well behind those first two? I mean, it's a it's a long way down compared to the room and the performance. But sorry, Emmett, you were going to pick up on something. I'm a as as both of you know, and and I I think a lot of people know, I'm a big proponent of using quality gear. Mm. Um, But as far as being absolutely necessary, not at all. The the highest paying uh, voice job I've ever done was a mic that I would never have chosen for myself if I had another option. Um, so it's it's right. much more about the work and the, the performance, the room that it's in. Uh, at the same time, a good mic behind a good room and a good performance can make that performance easier or allow it to come through better, I guess is probably a better way to put it. Shine. Um, 
Uh, right. A, a, mm. a great mic doesn't doesn't make a great performance. It it will capture a bad performance or a good performance. But with all things created equal, if the performance is great, a great mic will capture it a little bit better. There's a lot of hyperbole about the difference between an expensive mic and a cheap mic. I wonder if, is there any way to articulate in practice how much of an improvement, you know, getting that U87 plugged in versus like an NT1, how much of an improvement that's going to make? Because it's not as much of a difference as a lot of people think it is. That's pretty interesting. You know, I feel like that in the last decade or so, um, we've seen a proliferation of uh, lower cost microphones that do sound really good uh, from mm. major manufacturers uh, in addition to boutique manufacturers and guys who also will mod, uh, you know, cheaper microphones into more expensive sounding microphones. Yeah. So my feeling is that, you know, you can certainly find if you're willing to put in the time and the search and use your ears uh, to find the right combination. Um, there are plenty of microphones out there that are around the $300 price point or so that you're not necessarily going to notice $700 worth of difference between that microphone and a $1,000 microphone. Yeah. Um, there might be some differences, some subtle differences, uh, but it may not be worth $700 of difference. I, I agree completely. And, and I guess that, that $700 difference depends hugely on where you are in your career. And how important those fine details are to you. And there's uh, there's the law of diminishing returns. The the more you spend, the the less the improvement. And uh, you know, once you once you get above a certain level, it just becomes about the the flavor that you like or that your engineer likes, or or even which one you think is the prettiest hanging in your room because right. they're all very very good. Yeah. And not to mention the fact that, you know, guys like Emmett and myself and, you know, we listen to microphones all day long, you know, or certainly have. Uh, and we listen to, uh, you know, in a very critical listening environment, mm. whereas most of the things that end up on air uh, are listened to you know, are being listened to by people who don't care <laughs> what yeah. the difference is, you know, in how much you spent on a microphone. And they don't notice the difference uh, between the two. And they're also listening on computer speakers or uh, earbuds or in their car or on the television speakers, um, you know, so they're not really paying attention. Now, one thing that I can certainly tell you from having, you know, worked on some video projects and film projects is, you know, people are willing to forgive, uh, you know, some poor quality video, but they tend not to forgive poor quality sound. So yes. that is something that is yeah. important to keep in mind, because if something sounds bad, it's really hard to listen to and to maintain their attention, uh, you know, for a long period of time. Whereas if something is kind of poor video quality, but has great sound, they'll still watch. Yeah, yeah. And that drives me crazy sometimes that, you know, for instance, you know, as we progress along and, uh, you know, bandwidth and speed and things like that, a lot of companies have been focused on, oh, getting better video quality, getting better video quality. It's been a lot more recent than people that people have actually cared more about getting better sound quality. <laughs> yeah. And it always blows my mind when you'll see an ad or, you know, you work on a a project where they've clearly spent hundreds of thousands on the live action shoot of this thing and then the the, the voiceover or the the, the uh, audio components of the the very last thing they think about but mm -hmm. exactly like you say the audio is so much more important in some respects than the, the, the visuals um, in terms of people's appreciation of it um, now this is a bit of a leading question to be honest and a lot of these questions are but is an expensive mic always going to be a better option for your voice. Emmett, what do you think? Not necessarily, no. And uh, I, th I think everyone would agree with that. Mm. Um, there, yeah. There's one aspect I wanted to touch on that sort of ties into that and sort of ties into the previous part. Yeah. And, and that is that for some people, uh, not everyone, maybe not even a majority, but for some people, there's confidence in using what other people are using. There's confidence in knowing mm. that you are using the same mic that uh, you know, some, some hero of yours or some pro that you admire is using. And if, if that gets you more into your performance, if that allows you to 
think less about the mic, blame the mic less, and just sort of forget that it's there, then then I would say that's absolutely worth the investment. Really? Um, for a lot of people, they're able to just simply focus on the performance and and not worry about what microphone is there. And in that case, it doesn't necessarily come down to price, though. Um, mm. You know, there there are a lot of factors in there. You know, I, I think if you put a U87 clone next to a U87, the U87 is going to beat it every time. Mm. So when all things are, well, when we're actually comparing apples to apples, um, price is usually going to win, but frequently it's not exactly apples to apples. And there may be certain things about one mic that make it more appealing than another mic on a certain voice. Yeah. Um, the Sennheiser 416 is used all the time, and it's it's a third the price of a U87, mm-hmm. and many times it's a better choice. I know that when I did my last when I did my last promo demo, um, I had a TLM 103 and my 416 both in the booth with me, and we chose the 416 over the TLM 103. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just that's just how it shook out. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, since you mentioned comparison, Emmett, I think that you know that's the thing that's so critical. Um, I describe, you know, choosing a microphone a lot like going to the eye doctor. Um, You know, you sit in the chair and you look across the room and uh, you read the chart, right? And the eye doctor puts the lens up in front of you and says, okay, you know, you're basically, you're going for what, how do you read that most accurately and with the most clarity? And choosing a microphone should be kind of have the same goal. Um, And ideally, if you can, kind of choose in the same way because the eye doctor puts that lens in front of you. You read the chart and then they flip the lens and say, "Okay, is this better or worse? And then they might do that two or three more times. Right. Yeah. So ideally, if you can do the same thing uh, and choose your microphone in that way, uh, you know, you then you definitely have the confidence that, you know, hey, I've. I tried this one and I tried that one and I tried this one all side by side. And um, this is the one that sounded best. And whatever that might end up being, you know, uh, it doesn't really – so much of this is subjective. And part of the reason that we just have so many microphones in the world is because we are literally trying to use those to create a different sound. Uh, when you're recording music, you know, you might want to put a ribbon microphone on a guitar cabinet in addition to a dynamic microphone so mm. that you can blend the two sounds together. Yeah. You know, in voiceover, we don't really have much need to to – pick flavors of microphones for those reasons unless you're really doing something that fits into a, uh, the grand scheme of a character read or uh, into, you know, you want some kind of retro 50s sound, right? Then it might be worth having a microphone that suits that need, but it's pretty rare that we audition that way. Um, and of course, our job really is auditioning to get the job <laughs> and yeah. getting a job is kind of gravy. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quickly jump on one thing you mentioned there, Dan. And, and you didn't come right out and, and say it, but something I hear a lot that I actually don't agree with is that you should make a trip to the local music store and sit down with a bunch of microphones in, in front of you mm. and pick which one you think sounds best. And the reason that, that I, don't, I don't agree with that practice for most people is because most people don't have the ears trained enough to make that decision in the first right. place. Sure. And and beyond that, um, they're not working in their own environment, and we know the environment makes more of a difference than the mic. So I'm a big proponent in getting with people who are doing this professionally, successfully, and finding out what has worked for a lot of people. Um, the standards are, are a standard for a reason, and often, right. even if they're not the absolute best choice, they're, off, they're usually not the wrong choice. Do you right. agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, ideally, if you are going to make that kind of blind comparison, it should be something that you do in your own booth at home. Um, You know, so it's not necessarily going out to a music store and doing it. And of course, you know, I I realize that that presents some challenges. Um, But ideally, if you can do that in your own home and then uh, or in your own home studio, and then uh, most of the time when I have done shootouts, people are sending me files that they've recorded in their own home studio, and I'll listen to them on this end, and they won't tell me what microphone it is. And I will choose. Exactly right. Yeah. The, getting the the expert ears upon that I think is an important component to choosing that that right set of uh 
that right set of glasses to match your uh, your right. analogy. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you're going to be listening to that, like you said, in a an acoustically treated room with good monitors and things like that, and in a potentially in an environment in a similar way to possibly future clients that you as a voice actor will work with. So whereas you may hear yourself on your own headphones, that's not necessarily how your clients are going to listen to you in the future. So getting that um, analysis is is absolutely crucial. I completely agree. Yeah, it's really the recorded sound, you know, that's where you do the shootout part, yeah. you know, is to really, you know, after you re- record it onto a computer of some kind, laptop or whatever, even if you bring a little task cam, or have a little task cam thing with you because you haven't bought anything yet, you know, I mean, whatever, or you're at yeah. somebody else's studio. Um, yeah, th- listen back to the recorded sound and that's where you make the decision, not as you're listening to it in headphones necessarily. Sure. So the real goal with a lot of microphone manufacturers is that they produce a mic that gives you a relatively flat response. So it's going to be even, it doesn't give you any bumps on the frequency spectrum. So it represents the sound that's being pumped into it. It can reproduce that as naturally and realistically as possible. But then there are other mics that you may buy for certain characteristics. And that's why people fetishize older mics, tube mics and things like that. But they will... You can actually research these frequency responses online before you actually even go into the store. I recommend word? I recommend that all the time. Uh, you know, I definitely think that frequency response charts are a really helpful uh, tool. Mm. It's not going to give you an, you know, obviously it's like looking at a studio monitor uh, in a picture. You know, you can look at these different speakers and you can say, oh, that one's pretty, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know. Um, <laughs> you can look at the frequency response chart and it's going to give you somewhat of an idea of what you can expect it to sound like. Mm. Um, but, you know, generally speaking, uh, one of the things about, for instance, a TLM-103 that I like compared to the road uh, is that the frequency response chart on a TLM-103 has a bump at around 3.5. That's where it starts to rise. Mm. Um, whereas the NT, uh, the road NT-1A has a bump around 1K. Now, to me, just as a, to me, 1K is not a pleasant sound yeah. you know so it's just a personal preference i know a lot of people use that mic and they use it success use it successfully uh however it's not a pleasant sound to my ear so i prefer mm. the tlm 103 over that because i know at 3.5 3.0 or 3.1 you know that's a pleasant f- frequency where the voice starts to come alive whereas 1k is just a little squawky sounding to me. So, you know, just like anything else, there's also some, you know, some subjectivity by the listener as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and funnily enough, you were saying about the shotgun mics earlier, the 416. I just can't get on with them, if I'm perfectly honest. It just doesn't work for my voice. There's something about the range of my voice. I think it's fine. You know, it would totally do the job, but um in ter- if I had the choice between a large diaphragm condenser and a shotgun, I would always go for the LDC. Um but that's just unique to my space, my voice. Um so, I'd like to move on now real quick um to mic technique. So, I'd like to talk a little bit about that because it makes a huge difference to the end product. So, Emmett, why don't we just talk a little bit now about that and what you can do to optimize your sound with technique? Um, I'll start with a little story. I was working with a guy uh, maybe a decade ago. It's been a while. Um, but he was using a, a Neumann TLM-103. Yeah. And uh, we we tweaked it. We got the settings dialed in pretty well. And, uh, and his promo came on TV and it aired during the Super Bowl. And just compared to everything around him, he sounded very small. And he had also done a lot of stuff for uh, a bunch of network promos, and they were kind of coming out the same way. Um, But he had done a whole series of those and was continuously doing them. So we could tweak, actually, based on what we were hearing come across TV week to (laughs) week and and make our adjustments that way. And it it turned out to be it wasn't a settings issue at all. He was a, a radio guy, and he had that thing right in front of his mouth and was just talking straight into the diaphragm and it, it just laid there. And when we gave it about, you know, five, six inches of space and kind of lifted it above his head a little bit, pointing down towards him, it came alive. He, he sounded yeah. worlds better. 
And so that's just an example of, of placement and, and working with the mic, how important that is and how much of a difference it can make. Uh, if you don't like the sound, it may not be that you that there's a problem with the mic or a problem with with you. It's a problem between uh, with the space between you. Um, mm. And so it's really, really important to you know, sit down and take the time to try different positions and see how things come across to get the most out of any mic. Uh, shotguns are, are pretty straightforward for the most part. You're you're shooting right into the barrel because if you're not, it's going to have trouble picking you up yeah. uh, with those it's just about finding the right angle the the angle that picks up your chest resonance if that's important to you mm. um, but large diaphragm condensers I've seen them perform best at, at more than a foot away from time to time yeah. and I've seen some that perform best really close mic'd and so it just really depends on on the person and on the mic where that placement is. Yeah, I, uh, you know, kind of think of the uh, – it's so funny. I came up with a baseball analogy, which, of course, is silly to me because I don't really like baseball. <laughs> I don't – not that I like, don't like it, but I don't watch it very much. But I kind of consider it like you've got a strike zone, you know, where you would place mm. the microphone. And it's basically – the top of it is at your eye level. Um, right at your eyes and then the lower end of it is like kind of right at your clavicle um, you know and basically like inside that square on either side from left to right uh, that microphone could fit anywhere in that space pointed at your mouth six to eight inches away usually um, and kind of off axis so you're not going to speak directly into it anyway but it could fit anywhere in that space and you should try those kind of four corners and somewhere in the middle and you know the reason why it it might sound a little bit different on the left or the right kind of goes back to the environment mm. um, because if, if if you actually have something different going on on the left side than you have on the right side, which, of course, in, you know, in a recording professional recording studio, it's probably going to be a little bit more symmetrical in your own home studio. You know, it, it could be much more haphazard. So, you know, try anywhere inside that strike zone, so to speak, uh, and the placement, you know, will definitely alter the sound. Yeah, and one thing to consider, and particularly probably this was relevant to Emmett, your example a minute ago, was is the proximity effect. If you get closer generally to a mic in pretty much any pickup pattern with the exception of Omni, you will get a low boost if you get closer and it'll you'll lose that low end the further away from it. So you can almost EQ yourself in real time. Um, the other thing is plosives and um, avoiding blowing out the mic. So what are they and and how can we avoid them? Sure. So uh, I'll answer first. Uh, plosives, that popping, thumping sound. Pop, 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 pop. And maybe you got some there. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that that we want to avoid that for sure. It's, you know, a pain to have to edit that out all the time. And it's just not something that it's just not good mic technique to have that happen. Now, obviously, voice actors, we use the microphone so many different ways. You know, we we might want to get up closer and we might need to be further away based on our volume, you know, and what it is that we're delivering. So we can be prone to plosives in all those situations. Mm. Um, but, um, you know, mic, good mic technique, first of all, regardless of the situation, certainly does help with that. Um, having a pop filter uh, you know, in in front of the microphone is certainly helpful with that too. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know how you have it placed certainly helpful with that. Smile through the plosive through the peas. Uh, that uh, is a pretty good trick. That oh, when I'm you're, that uh, actually yeah, when you're actually doing your voiceover stuff, if you just smile a little bit through the pea, then it becomes <laughs> less powerful. Um, so uh, that's that's a good trick you can do, and just be co conscious of it. Um, you know, if you're you know, Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers, right? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of, you got to be kind of conscious of the peas uh, so that you know that you're not giving them as much power uh, as the, uh, the, as the rest. And actually it, because they are hard consonants anyway, um, you can afford to give them less power and they will be okay. Yeah. They'll sit there just fine. And then, and this kind of cycles back to to placement too. Getting that that mic out of the direct line of of uh, what's coming out of your lips can really help with plosives a lot too. Mm -hmm. um, and and you know, 
there's a little bit of processing that can go into it too with things like high pass filters um, yeah. that are on many preamps and and I keep them engaged on on both of my preamps all the time because I I can't stand plosives and and yeah. I got a fat bottom lip so uh, <laughs> it, I I'm I'm genetically wired to have plosives. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Now that's something I've never heard. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, well, actually, that, this is a good opportunity to speak about this. What the hell are all the switches on the mics? What do they do? <laughs> well, uh, certainly not all mics have switches, uh, yeah. but the ones that do often, you know, for instance, like a U87 has different polar patterns, which yeah. you don't really need to be switching from back and forth. So cardioid is mostly what we're using in voiceover. Uh, now, of course, back in the day, uh, you know, eons ago it seems like now when we would have uh two talent in the same booth speaking uh you know doing a dialogue session together or something like that then having a figure eight polar pattern was great mm. uh, because they could work together and work off of each other and see each other as they were doing their thing um but you know nobody's doing that anymore uh it's very rare that anybody from home would ever have you know, another talent in their booth with them. So, you yeah. know, we don't need those multi multiple polar patterns on our mics anymore. Other things are pads, um, which basically reduces the power of the microphone. Uh, so in other words, if it's minus 10, B, 10 dB or just says minus 10, then it's already attenuating that uh, sound, that volume uh, by 10 decibels so that you can be louder without distorting the microphone. Uh, and then there's roll-off switches for bass roll-off, which Emmett just mentioned. Um, what else? What else? What else would be on That's there? That's pretty I'm much it. I think. To think. There's yeah. there's also on on a few mics like the uh, Shure SM7. There's a little a little presence boost switch. So you have a few that have a little more contour to them. The uh, RE27ND has a few of those uh, contour contour switches. Um, I can't think of any condensers off the top of my head that have that option. But there are a few dynamics where you can kind of dial in the sound a little more on the mic. Um, in my experience, in every case I've ever tested, it sounds better to do that either at the preamp level or in the in the post level than it does to use those switches on the mic. Right. I agree. I agree. Well, following on from that, Emma, I'd like you to talk now a little bit about the pairing and the sort of dance that a a microphone and a preamp does with each other like why would you choose a certain preamp with a certain microphone and you know how does that affect the eventual sound i'm actually gonna gonna back up and go a little bit uh, more basic than that for what a preamp actually is at its yeah. core level uh, which is just simply a device that takes the extremely low signal coming from a microphone and brings it up to a more usable level so we can work with it mm. um the, at, at, in the most simple terms, that's what it's doing. In the process of doing that, every preamp has some impact on the sound. And I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna bounce around a little bit here because there's there's this constant debate over which is more important, the microphone or the preamp. And and a lot of people will say the preamp is more important. Mm. Um, the reason where that line of thinking comes from is if you have half a dozen microphones and you get one really good preamp, you have improved all of those microphones. Right. Whereas if you buy one more microphone, you're just going to add one more sound. Mm. So that's where the line of thinking where where people have gotten this idea uh, that the preamp is more important. Um, I I would say the opposite is true with voiceover, that the mic is is the most important component followed by the, the preamp. Mm. Um, because it's all about the character and generally you're not going to you know, have a zillion sources that you're going to have to try and mic. You're going to have one voice that you're going to be working with. Anyhow, into your question, the dance that they do, um, There, there's a lot that goes into it, but different preamps have different voicings, just like different mics have different voicings. And uh, and they're not always obvious. Some are like the uh, the Neve 1073. Um, it's got a certain sound to it. You know that whatever you plug into it is going to take on that Neve sound. But most of them mm. are much more subtle than that. Yeah. And some preamps have a lot of color, a lot of character to them. Some are ultra, ultra, ultra transparent, and and there's a whole wide range in between. 
and it's it's a matter of of largely just finding what you like. Um, even the cheapest preamps now are pretty good. If you go in and buy a $100 interface, a $100 Steinberg interface, the preamps in that are not bad. Yeah, um, no, not bad at uh, all, actually. I recommend the Steinberg a lot. I, th- I think it, to me, the preamps are better than the Focusrite, for instance, uh, in this comparably priced model. Um, so, I, yeah, I agree. Uh, you can get really nice preamps that'll work just fine on voice alone, for sure. Uh, it used to be back a couple decades ago, maybe the 90s or so, there was a wide difference between professional-grade preamps and uh, low-end kind of plug-and-play preamps. And Mackie sort of changed the game on that because they yeah. were able to come up with a, a really solid-sounding preamp uh, for a fraction of the cost of higher-end boutique preamps, and everyone has followed suit since then, and that technology has only gotten better and cheaper. I do still think there's reason to spend more on a preamp if you're at that level in your career and, and that level with your gear. There are still things you can get out of out of higher-end boutique preamps, but the differences are a lot more subtle than they used to be, and it's a lot less of a necessity mm. because it used to be about noise, and at this point, pretty much, they're, they're all pretty quiet. Right. So if you were to, if you had a setup with, and let's, I keep bringing it up, but let's say you've got an NT1 and you've got a 2i2 as your preamp slash interface, would that be a significant jump up if you were to upgrade your mic and not upgrade the preamp or do you have to do them concurrently well one of the things that you have to be aware of is you know, are you getting enough gain mm. from your preamp without having to turn that all the way up because you know as Emmett said the preamp is designed to boost the low that extremely low signal coming from the mic so you know you want to have a preamp that you can boost that signal and get as much as you need and still have plenty more to go if you need more, i.e. headroom. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, uh, so if you're having to turn your preamp all the way up, which is where, honestly, most of the noise comes from, uh, is because that's, you know, that's like if you were to equate it with plumbing of any sort, it would be like the pump, you know, that's pumping that signal or that yeah. water through your, uh, your through your plumbing system, you know, and that's the part that makes noise. You know, a microphone can be extremely quiet, but when you add that preamp that has to pump that signal up, uh, that's where the noise comes from. So if you're not getting enough gain out of the preamp that you have in, com- you know, uh, combined with the microphone that you have, then you might need to get a better preamp that allows you to get the signal that you need without adding noise um, and allowing you to have more headroom available uh, if you sh- should you ever need it. Right. Great. So I'd like to just get on to a little bit of um, sort of maintenance, day-to-day kind of stuff. So how do you maintain your microphone day-to-day so that it has a nice long life? And how long should, you, should your microphone last? I'll, I'll jump in on this one. Uh, I'm probably setting a terrible example here, but I don't do much of anything for maintenance with my mics. Mm. They're plugged in, they're powered at all times. I don't take them down so that at any time I can, I can walk into the, to the booth and do my thing. Mm. Um, every couple weeks I'll come in with a Swiffer and, and dust off the top of them. Um, I always use a pop filter to keep moisture out of the, out of the diaphragm. But, um, beyond that, there's, there's not a ton of maintenance that goes into it. And a a good mic well taken care of with the exception of ribbons and tube mics will last a long, long time. I mean, decades, eons, um, You know, if you're not dropping it, you're not banging around. It's not your your travel mic. It's it's set up in a studio and well cared for. Um, there is no reason for it not to last almost indefinitely. Yeah. I mean, we do have to understand, you know, a large diaphragm condenser microphone certainly is going to be more delicate than, say, you know, I mean, they use shotgun microphones on film sets 
They right. travel with them. They mount to cameras. They get you know dynamic microphones or you know live on stages, um, which is you know I spent the first third of my career live doing live sound. I mean these things get right. complete. Drummers hit them with sticks yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and hard too, right? Yeah. So I mean a lot of that you know microphones are actually pretty durable. Um, so now large diaphragm condensers, the kind that we use most, of course, are more delicate, but we're also not using them in that same context. So, you know, they're durable enough that, you know, if you if you just really don't mess around with it too much, you don't drop it, you treat it, you know, nicely, um, you know, it's probably going to last you indefinitely. Now, obviously, tube microphones, it is better to leave them powered on um, because that way, you know, it, what happens is with tube gear of any kind, you know, just like light bulbs, uh, they often blow when you're turning power on or turning power off. Yeah. Um, you know, light bulbs rarely burn out when they're just on, you know, and just, I mean, they just don't go, you know, they just don't blow yeah. uh, when they're just on and running. Uh, they... You know, it's that powering up and powering down that really uh, puts a lot more strain on the electronics than anything else. So, uh, you know, I, you know, I don't consider Emmett's to be a bad example at all because honestly, I do pretty much the same thing. You know, I really my mic just sits here and it's on, ready to go. Um, and I travel with my I, I use a four sixteen uh, mm. and I travel with it, um, but I know that it's durable. I know that I'm not going to, you know, it's probably not going to really cause me any problems. I, you know, I obviously make sure that the screws are tight on it and all of that stuff and that the connection points are uh, clean and things like that. But other than that, I don't really do a whole lot with it. And I actually do uh, keep the um, windscreen on mine as well for that same reason, Yeah, uh, to keep the moisture out and all of that. Great. I'm the same. Glad to know that I'm in good company. <laughs> all right. So, um, Indulge me on this final question before I get to audience questions. I'm just interested to know, what is your dream microphone, Emmett? Uh, I'm a huge fan of the Telefunken 251 and oh, yeah. many of its clones too. The Bach 251 is is great also. And I hear the Peluso's cool, but I haven't used it. But uh, there's something about that mic that just sounds really different to me than everything else out there. Right. And I've never been able to duplicate it with EQ. I've never been able to duplicate it in post. Something kind of magic about it. And so I'd, I'd love to have one of those hanging here. Cool. What about you, Dan? You know, for me, when I was working in music, it mattered a lot more to me. Mm. Um, and I used to fantasize about the AKG C1. Uh, mm. That was just to me, that was like the holy grail of microphones uh, back when I was doing music. But now, um, you know, I'm pretty happy with my 416, honestly. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it just works well for me. And I mean, I do have like 40 microphones uh, that, you know, oh, wow. date back. Date, they date back all the way from my live sound days. Now, a lot of them are 57s, 58s, dynamic microphones for drums and things like that. Mm. I do have a, a, a ribbon microphone, um, you know, a, a, a U47 clone, um, you know, and they're all... Yeah, they're they're all just really great microphones. Um, so but I don't fantasize about microphones so much anymore. I think if I still worked in music, I would probably, uh, or or if I were doing a lot more music, I I would probably uh be much more uh tuned into oh what do I want next and that sort right. of thing. But it's you know, it's uh it's much uh much harder to uh, get excited about all those different tones when I know I've got something that really works well for me now. So you don't have gas? <laughs> <laughs> well, not with microphones now. You know, I actually could get excited about some preamps uh, yeah. and things like that. I'd actually be more inclined. I mean, for me, I, I know it's not the most expensive preamp, and I, you know, uh, but I love it. Um, and that is the Great River. Um, the oh, Great yeah. River to me just has such a forward, beautiful, pristine sound, and it's very versatile because it can get kind of dirty and crunchy, uh, but it can also be really crystal clear. Um, so for me, that's kind of the holy grail of preamps, and it's not even the most expensive one, no. um, yeah. but I do love it. I love how it sounds. Great. Awesome. Right. Thanks for indulging me on that question. Um, all right, so now we're going to get some questions from the audience. And the first one is from Pat Collins, who asks, 
what mics work best for certain genres of VO? So that's an interesting can of worms question. Um, who wants to attack that one? I'll, I'll take a stab at that one. Um, there's, there is no right and wrong answer here. No. A good mic is a good mic is a good mic. And, and uh, it's, it's as simple as that. But in terms of what's popular, what's trendy, um, shotgun mics, specifically the 416, tend to be really popular in the promo world or anywhere where you really want it to cut through and less desirable in long-form narration, audiobooks, things like that, because it, it gets a little tiring to listen to. Mm. And um, yeah. you know, large diaphragm condensers are good for everything. They're they're universal. Um, and, and ribbon mics and a few darker sounding large diaphragm condensers i really like for the long form stuff they yeah. they sound a little dull when you first hear them but after listening to them for a while they they sound really nice it's pleasant it's more like somebody sitting next to you talking to you than someone talking at you through a speaker dan anything to add no i agree with pretty much all of that absolutely yeah, I, I'm sorry. I wish I could be more confrontational or uh, controversial. <laughs> I know. Why didn't? <laughs> I know. I mean, why can't we battle it out? <laughs> this isn't Facebook. Come on. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and speaking of Facebook, can I just tell everyone that if you if Emmett comments on something that you post on a Facebook forum, just listen to what he has to say because he's almost always right, which is annoying, but it's the case. <laughs> so just do whatever he says. <laughs> okay. So. Um, Anna Clements asks, what are your thoughts on male versus female vocal production qualities and which models best represent different pitches? I think she means which mics suit certain frequencies, male versus female. I think that's that's what she was getting at there. Yeah, I I love Anna. Uh, Very cool person. Hmm. Uh, Totally dig her. Um, You know, again, it's really there's so many other factors involved mm. that, you know, how one microphone sounds in one room can sound completely different on the same person in another room. Mm. So I don't put as much, uh, you know, I, I don't put as much pressure on the microphone in that respect. I really put it more on the environment that you're in. Mm. Um, that's just how I feel about it. I mean, certainly, you know, there are mics that are well known to be more uh you know have a lot more high end to them uh others are more dull um Mm. things like that uh but to me it still really boils down to the environment when it comes to that because the same microphone can sound so different in different environments Mm. emmett any thoughts on this uh i I don't have much to add except re-stressing the importance of finding the sweet spot for that mic, which is going to be a lot more important than any specific model number. You know, finding right. the spot where it really sings and, and resonates with your voice, which is going to be different with a high-pitched female than a, a baritone male. But yeah. the same mic will work well on both. Yeah, right. especially when we're talking about the industry standards anyway. Again, they're they're standards for a reason. That's yeah, right. yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's that's why they tend to come to the fore because you know if a recording studio only has to buy two or three mics versus six or seven, that makes perfect sense. Um, mm-hmm. So Chris Sharps, who is our administrator on the Facebook group, he asks: the general trend in VO circles is that you have to have a Neumann TLM one hundred and three or a Sennheiser four hundred and sixteen. There are many models that sound amazing and not at those price points. So what mid-range mics would you recommend? I mentioned earlier the MK4. Mm. I think it sounds great. Yeah. I I don't know exactly what mid-range means, but uh, I'm a big fan of the Mojave Audio MA201. How much is that? That's about 700 or so. Okay. Um, Yeah. That's probably upper mid-range. It, uh, probably. Um, it's a really, really great mic that, frankly, I've, I've got a TLM-103 sitting here. I like the Mojave better. I just bought the Neumann because it's got the Neumann badge on it. Right. Um, <laughs> and and I, I know I'm not the only person who's done that, but uh, I, I think it's a really, really solid performer. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, the Mic Tech MK300 is uh, it, it's quite a head turner, and it's uh, 299 I believe. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, just a terrible logo. Uh, <laughs> yes, I I can't argue that. <laughs> 
Yeah, I do like the Sennheiser MK4 a lot. I've heard I've compared it right up against a 416 and a TLM 103, and you know it's very similarly voiced mm. uh, to those. Um, it's certainly a little bit more open sounding than the uh, 416, for instance. Mm. Um, I think that I don't. I haven't heard a newer model one, but uh, Studio Projects uh, C1. Uh, oh, it's yeah. a it's a it's a little bright uh, on some people and in some situations, but I've heard it sound really good in certain environments, um, you know, in really well-treated environments. Uh, so that was just another one that kind of pops to the top of my head that uh, I like a lot. Yeah. And I, I'm just going to throw in the Aston Origin. Um, I've been using it recently and I really like it. It's, um, it doesn't have a huge low-end response, but I just love the clarity that it brings and uh Built like a tank, so I think I can't remember how much they are three fifty ish, something like that. Looks um, like a tank too. Yeah, it does. It's not. It's not the prettiest <laughs> mic in the world, but um, I uh, I really like it. Um, so I let's see. Okay, so our next question is from Marisa Blake, who was our guest on last week's episode, and this is a proper geek question. And I know Emma's just going to be chomping at the bit to answer this one. Why do some people mount their microphones right side up and others upside down? <laughs> I saw that question earlier, and you're right. I have been waiting for yeah, it. Yeah, I so, knew you would be. <laughs> there's, there, there are three good reasons for your mic to be upside down. One of them doesn't really apply anymore, but it's sort of where this trend started. Mm. Tube mics with that tube getting hot when you would orient them with the diaphragm on top – the heat would rise and it would the, the tube heat would over time just sort of cook that diaphragm. Mm. Um, in, th- in theory. <laughs> it, uh, I, I don't know if it was practical. I've never had it right. happen, but that's what I've heard. And that was the, the thinking with flipping it upside down. Um, in a, a more practical today's type standard, the, the reason that I keep mine upside down and I always have is because I mount it a little bit up towards eye level and uh, I look at the copy under it because you tend to hold your copy down and look more downward. Mm. Uh, The mic doesn't get in your way when you read. Uh, The other practical reason is it keeps a little bit of dust off the the grill of the microphone and and if it's going to collect somewhere, it collects more on the body. Um, I don't yeah. know if there's any other reason beyond that. It's it's primarily going to be personal preference and mm. what feels good to you with the way you work, the way your booth is set up, the way you stand. What looks best in selfies? That that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sightline is one of the biggest reasons, uh, you know, because with the microphone kind of up and pointing down, you're able to focus on your copy and the microphone isn't in- interfering with that. Whereas if you have it on a stand and the stand is, you know, right in front of you and then the microphone is, you know, I, that's why I always say get a boom. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, get a boom arm on your microphone so you, or on your mic stand just so you can position it more effectively and efficiently so that it doesn't, you know, it doesn't interfere with you reading your copy. Anything that um, is a distraction, anything that, you know, doesn't put you in the best frame of mind to do the best job that you can, uh, can certainly hurt, hurt your read, even yeah. if it's subconscious, you know, kind of subconscious. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. Okay. Well, I think that's all of my questions. So do you guys have any final thoughts, Dan? This was fun. Yeah, this was fun. It was, it was great. <laughs> I know we got to do, we got to do this some more. Yeah. Well, we, we could probably talk mics for another three or four hours before we all get bored. <laughs> easily. 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 <laughs> yeah. We could all start busting out microphones. And I mean, <laughs> I, I think between us, we probably have a pretty good collection of microphones. Yeah. I would have thought so. <laughs> yeah. Let's try this one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you to you both, Dan Friedman and Emma Andrews. As you say, it's been a really, really fun chat. And if you're a geek, this is like a dream episode, really, mm-hmm. because uh, talking microphones, you know, you could do it till the cows come home. Um, so thank you both. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay, so there we are. There's our episode that was devoted entirely to one piece of technology. Was that too much? I don't know. I think it's quite a common thing in the voiceover industry to obsess over microphones, so I think that's fair enough to devote an entire episode to it. I think so, anyway. (laughs) 
Thank you to Dan and Emmett for their contribution this week. And next week isn't totally locked down yet, so I can't let you know what's coming up, but I will let you know on social media. And you can find all those links on our website, voschoolpodcast.com. But until then, have a good week, and I'll speak to you next time. Thanks very much. Bye. Thank you to this week's guests, to our sponsor J. Michael Collins and Backstage Magazine. Thanks also to Kyle Marie Colucci and Chris Sharps for social media support. Join us next time for another class. 